Welcome to another edition of Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone. If you're listening to us on YouTube, make sure you give us a like, leave a comment, helps us out a lot. And on iTunes, you can also rate and review us. That helps a ton. Uh, this offseason, going through a lot of Dynasty stuff, had Anthony Amico on the podcast to look at the incoming rookie class of wide receivers. And on today's podcast, pumped to have Pat Corain with me to look at the year two wide receivers and what their fantasy value is for this season and kind of how Pat's approaching them in Dynasty. Pat, always exciting to have you back on ETE. Yeah, it's exciting to join you. Uh, this is a fun topic. We also have some trade news to discuss once we get to the Dolphins section here. I was thankful that uh, you know we had planned to talk about these second-year wide receivers. It breaks that Tyreek Hill is going to either the Jets or the Dolphins. So I'm thankful we know where he landed so that we can actually discuss that second-year wide receiver with a little bit more knowledge. Yeah, and it's uh, you know sometimes it's difficult to do like this dynasty content right now with like current year news just breaking left and right with this absolutely insane off season. But I know dynasty trades are picking up in some of my leagues, and people are getting ready for the rookie draft. So it, it's a good time to look at things. And Miko did a good job kind of walking us through on the last podcast, you know, the, the basic things we're looking at and prospects in terms of breakout age, draft capital, athleticism, some of the production metrics, and. You know, right off the bat, before we get into the, all the specific year two receivers, I'm just curious how how much do you like anchor to what you thought of these guys as prospects to what they actually did year one in the NFL? I tend to look at it as like, you know, if you kind of bucket the rookie seasons into like three buckets, uh, bucket one would be like Jamar Chase. Like if a wide receiver who I didn't think was that great of a prospect let's say i thought they were a straight up bad prospect and they had this season like jamar chase just had i would completely throw away the prospect profile i mean mm -hmm. that that type of season is absurd it doesn't really matter um now with the jamar chase because he was the best prospect in years and then he has the kind of season that he did you know he had built on some unsustainable yards per target efficiency which we'll get to but that makes me you know all the more likely to buy into it the second bucket would basically be like a stay the course type of season, which is what we got from most of the wide receivers. Um, and, you know, I think the season kind of moved guys up or down a little bit based on what they did as, as rookies, but more or less kind of stay the course. And then the third bucket would be the JJ Ortega Whiteside bucket, where you basically are like, this guy might do something, but it won't be this year. And I think, you know, there, we do have a wide receiver like that in, in this class as we'll get to. Yeah. And to help you do that, like, obviously if you have a season like chase, it almost doesn't matter what metric you look at because it was just such an insane season, but you know, for the guys that it's a little bit more difficult to judge the success, of their rookie season, what are the underlying metrics that, you know, you know, kind of help give you a clue as to whether or not they're going to be successful in year two. Yeah. I think yards per outrun is, is really good. Um, targets per outrun is really good as well. And targets per outrun is more stable than yards per outrun because it doesn't include yards per target, which is a bit noisy, but I actually like yards per outrun better than targets per outrun uh, for this type of valuation, because I do think that yards per target tells us something about the skill level of these players. Like, I don't think it's enough to just know how many times, you know, these guys were targeted per route. For one thing, yards per target gives us um, an idea of how deep downfield these guys were targeted because yards per target is correlated with depth of target. If you're getting targeted, you know, 15 yards downfield, you're going to get more yards per each one of those targets. So 
Uh, I think that's helpful. You can also look at weighted targets per outrun, which uh, Ben Gretsch came up with, and that includes the air yards in the targets per outrun formula. I think that's helpful. But again, I also still would rather know, like if you could only give me one, I would take yards per target because or yards per route run because I think the yards per target is telling us two things. One, there's some small noisy signal about how good the player actually is, you know, what they're doing with their targets. But I think it also does let us know what the team thought of their rookie year. Like if a, if a player just absolutely bombed in yards per target, that could be a bad sign for their playing time going forward for the amount of routes that they're getting. I also think just seeing how many routes they ran, how many routes they ran per game is very helpful. Uh, certainly, you know, if you've got a small sample, it's harder to buy into extreme efficiency. Uh, we've got one of those wide receivers in this class. I think it's helpful to look at where they were playing, you know, their, their average depth of target in terms of where they were seeing the targets, but also where they running out of the slot, where they running out wide, where they doing both. I, I really like what, you know, wide receivers – able to have that versatility and they're not just kind of stuck in, in one spot. Um, you can also see, you know, were they a lot more efficient doing one thing or another? Um, were they much better in the slot than outside or, or vice versa? So those are probably the the main uh, metrics that I, I like looking at. Yeah. And I like doing these types of podcasts too, and these types of evaluations, because like from our perspective doing, you know, off season projections that establish the run. Sometimes I'm just letting like the efficiency stuff sort of just be dictated by an algorithm when there's not a huge sample size, you know, I might be missing a little bit of signal in terms of the breakout potential for these guys. And like, I'm fitting them within the context of these teams. So it's good to come at it from another angle, which is a little bit more micro, a little bit more player specific and, and trying to marry the two uh, before we get, last question, before we get into I mean, there's so many year two two wide receivers to talk about, but I, I guess it's a combo question. Like, like how quickly are you moving on guys that flash? You answered that a little bit in your start, like with your buckets of guys, um, like where you bucket chase and like that's someone you're moving fast on. But like, just how quickly do you move on? And I remember when we first did it, one of our first dynasty podcasts, we were talking about Terry McLaurin and like moving super quickly on him because he flashed in a couple games and like tying that into how much you care about like the whole season versus someone like Amon Ross St. Brown, who, you know, it took him a while to carve out his role in Detroit. But then once he did, he had like eight catches minimum in his last six games. Like, are you just looking at those last six games? Or are you looking at the season in totality? Well, one of the reasons I love looking at the the routes is that like the routes are the opportunity. Like if a guy, mm -hmm. if you look at per game metrics and, you know, the guy was on the field, but, you know, running like 35% of the routes, that wasn't really like a game's worth of opportunity for, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown. If he, you know, if, if a player is uh, out there all the time and then happens to have a really hot stretch, then I think that's a lot less exciting than if they, you know, struggled to get on the field and then got on the field and were immediately awesome. Cause I think, you know, we've seen time and time again, that coaches don't always put their best players on the field. And, yeah. you know, it must be a pretty difficult evaluation in practice to figure out who should actually be playing. I think the games tell you a lot more about who should be playing than practices. At least that's my uh, perception as someone who's never had anything to do with that. <laughs> but it seems to me that it's hard to figure it out in practice, at least, you know, perfectly. So, you know, once a guy gets on the field and is and is flashing, especially if the sample becomes big enough to where, like you mentioned, Terry McLaurin. I think Kadarius Tony is another good example of this where like it gets to a point where you can just extrapolate 
over the course of like, like just tack on another three or four games and put the production at like really disappointing levels. And then now you're looking at like a six or an eight game stretch. And if that production's impressive, then like the guy's going to have a lot of value the following year. People are going to be touting him as a breakout candidate. Like, make the sample bigger and see what that does. And uh, in a lot of cases, like Terry McLaurin's case, like he was on such an insane pace early in his rookie season that, you know, you could go ahead and do that. And it's like, at worst, this guy's going to be like, you know, a seventh round dynasty startup pick. So, you know, you should be, if you can get this guy for like an early second round rookie pick, do it now because he's going to ultimately be more expensive. I I think Tony kind of had a similar, you know, revelatory type of um, beginning to, his his season once he actually got on the field yeah no that's a really good point because i do think sometimes there's a tendency to be like oh well you know that was an outlier these guys aren't going to continue that pace but it's like okay those stats still count yes we we should take into account the sample size but just sort of arbitrarily increasing the sample size with average to below average production you can kind of really see like the outsized impact that those games had and that there, there must be like some signal there We'll jump to Chase to start right now. I've got the FFPC best ball ADP up for these guys positionally to look at as we go through this. And Jamar Chase, FFPC wide receiver two right now. I think our ETR ranks slightly behind that, but it's like really hard to argue, you know, some of these top three, four wide receivers, quite frankly. And not a ton to say about Chase just because he was so good. Like, I mean, he's, he's clearly a top five guy. The thing that sticks out to me when I was looking at some of our underlying metrics was his combination of ADA and Yak is just like absurdly rare. And if you look at even in this class, his average depth of target was 12.9. Looking at, you know, we've got 10 receivers we're going to look at today. And he was second among that group. And he was basically tied with Rondell Moore in Yak per reception at 7.8. Rondell Moore was at 7.9. Chase did that with a a dot over 12 and Rondell Moore did that with an a dot just over one. So like just utterly absurd. And it makes me think of, you know, when Ben Gretsch talks about AJ Brown a lot and he's, you know, he talks about like, it's tough to see this guy failing because he can just, he can get there in so many ways. He can catch a deep pass. He can take a screen to the house. So, uh, I mean, just an awesome rookie campaign for Jamar chase. Yeah. And, and, uh, yak is correlated with, uh, negatively with, with a dot, you know, so to be able to, I mean, yeah, it's the AJ Brown thing. It's like, if you can be a deep threat and dominant after the catch, it's kind of, it's unstoppable. I mean, and that's the thing with Jamar chase too. I mean, to the rookie prospect stuff, I think sometimes we're like, you know, who is this guy? Like, how is he actually going to, he's not a big receiver. He's, you know, he's not lightning quick, like how, but um, just being like really, really good is, is helpful. And uh, Jamar chase crushed in college in terms of the production hyper efficient in yards per hour and in college, which is another thing I really like to look at immediately comes in and delivers just an absurd season. He had 11.5 yards per target, which is way above what you would expect uh, given his a dot. Um, you know, he was used downfield, but not like really far downfield at, at 12.9 average depth of target. That's, pretty much like I would say a classic number one wide receiver type of a dot where you're getting some deep targets, you're getting some shallow targets. You're not like a true deep threat, but you're also not an underneath guy. And to pair that with like an off the charts yards per target is frankly unsustainable. Like you won't be able to do that again, but you know, target per route run of 21.2%. I think we could see that come up 
I think that could easily be up to like 24%, something like that. You could easily, easily see him have another season like he just had with an elite yards per out run of 2.44. The connection with Burrow is obviously great. The offensive line looks like it's it's, uh, coming together a little bit better. And then like the T. Higgins, you know, the fact that he's also potentially a star, but I think he is a star, potentially a superstar. Um, I think that's good for Jamar Chase ultimately where, you know, this offense is just going to have to lean into that more and more over time and, and just, they're just going to crush people with these huge passing games. Maybe it won't be as consistent as we like, but, uh, but yeah, Jamar Chase is set up for a ton of success. Yeah. I think, you know, the concerns with teammate target share for me just come into play, like, when it starts to get really crowded, if there's like two, three, three other options, or if you're playing with maybe, you know, uh, a Devonte Adams type, who's going to put up like a 30% right. target share, but you got two guys that can be pretty efficient at 25% target share. And as you said, they're the offensive line improvements there. They may throw more aggressively. I feel like we're always saying that, but they may do it, um, uh, which would just add pass attempts, pass volume um, and make those target shares kind of like offset some of the, the regression and efficiency. If you can see, some more volume, uh, clear cut dino wide receiver one. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. you know, I think Jefferson has a case. Um, but I, but I would take chase. Yeah. With tied to burrow, I think is like, if you think it's close, like that's sort of a pretty, pretty tiebreaker. Uh, the next guy up in terms of FFPC wide receiver, ADP Jalen Waddle, he's wide receiver 10. And this is a guy we want to talk about with the Tyreek Hill trade stuff. And, um, before we talk, let's talk about his rookie year in general, and then we'll bring up like the context of this season. But, you know, he was really a bit of a target hog there, especially late for Miami. And um, what do you think of his rookie season? Yeah, I thought it was a very impressive rookie season. Waddle is, you know, as a prospect was kind of not quite boom bust, but definitely like a high ceiling guy with question marks where, uh, he was very efficient really throughout his career uh, in terms of yards per route run off the charts in his final season, but only played five games. Didn't technically break out, but he played through an ankle injury, which lowered his, his uh, yardage share in his final game. So <clears throat> had he just like sat out the uh, the national championship game, he would have uh, he would have broken out. So I think we should give him credit for that. And he's also, you know, an underclassman, young player playing with elite target competition at his time in, in Alabama, maybe not elite from an NFL standpoint, but certainly elite target competition. Uh, when you talk about what college wide receivers have to face with, with Smith, Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy, there, uh, pretty wild. Um, plus, plus Mechie was there, um, you know, who might end up being like a second round pick with an ACL tear. So, uh, you know, definitely someone that was a really, really strong prospect and then comes out, has, I would say a good, but not great rookie season, 1.75 yards per route run. Yards per target wasn't awesome at 7.4, but I don't think that's going to matter at all. I don't think the team is, you know, questioning uh, what they have in Waddle. I think they're very excited about him. Obviously, they're bringing in Tyreek Hill, but I don't think that really says anything about Waddle. I think they're, you know, trying to add as many weapons as possible for Tua. Um, overall, I think it was a strong year. One of the, the underlying things that popped out to me with Waddle is that he was much stronger outside than in the slot. Uh, 2.31 yards per outrun outside. And Cedric Wilson's addition, I think, pretty much guarantees that he'll be outside in three wide receiver sets, at least for most of his routes. Um, and, a, you know, a three wide receiver set with Tyreek Hill and then Jalen Waddle outside, that looks pretty good. I think efficiency wise, we're going to get a really nice season from Waddle. Just comes down to, 
Mike McDaniel's been hinting that he wants to run the ball. And now he's got, you know, a ton of target competition from Tyree Kill. If this is a low volume efficiency type offense, like is there some Brandon Ayuk level disappointment in our future if we if we take Waddle in the fifth round? Yeah, the, Miami did have a high pass rate over expectation last season, if I'm remembering correctly. And McDaniel, you know, coming from San Francisco, like the negatives would be, you know, San Francisco is pretty run heavy. Are they going to be run heavy? I think the positives would be a lot of that short eight out stuff Waddle had with Miami. You'd expect the the yak, like I see a big improvement mm-hmm. in the yak with McDaniel. And then Tyreek Hill would, would just help in that regard in terms of the space that he's clearing. And, you know, a lot of the instant reactions to Tyreek coming to Miami is that it's not good for Waddle. I'm a little bit torn here. Maybe I'm like overly optimistic on Waddle, but I'm just not sure if it cuts into the target share that much. And I feel like it does just bolster the strength of the offense in general. And that, you know, maybe it's a net negative, but I think it's like a very small net negative, maybe kind of like, you know, Julio going, how we thought when Julio went to the Titans last year with AJ Brown, like it kind of took off that 30% target share season off the table a little bit, um, or at least we thought heading in. And that's kind of the thing with Waddle is like, we could have seen like an absurd target share for him, probably low to mid twenties now, um, but much better chance. The offense is really rolling. Yeah. And I think his ADP will probably end up being a little bit more realistic because it's going to get capped now. Like you're not going to be able to talk yourself up to, you know, Waddle at the two, three turn. And he did seem like one of those guys where, you know, if Hill hadn't been traded there, we probably would have gotten to Waddle at the two, three turn. Uh, He's just, I mean, you just watch him. He's just super excited. We never got measurables on him um, due to the injury, but it's like one of the few guys where it doesn't matter at all. No one, no one needed them. The NFL didn't need them. We don't need them. You just, you just watch him. He's, he's kind of at another level speed wise. So uh, I don't know. It feels like his ADP is going to be maybe a little bit more realistic in terms of reflecting the upside and downside. And so like in a weird way, I probably end up liking him a bit better after this move, just because I'm kind of going to be closer to where the market ends up. Yeah. And especially for like dynasty too, if we're taking the longer view, like, I I don't think we want to get too bent out of shape over like a couple of percentage points in in lost target share. Um, Outside of Waddle, the next for dynasty, for dynasty, this could end up being pretty great. Right. Because like, we think about it too, like, like, what if, what if Tua unlocks something here? Like what if what if playing with Hill helps take his game? Because what we need from Tua is more downfield, you know, the ability to um, more willingly throw downfield. Because Tua, is like, it's not like he can't throw downfield. He just doesn't tend to uh, very much. So if they get their offensive line in better shape and now he's got an elite downfield weapon and then you have Waddle developing into an elite downfield weapon playing with Tyreek Hill, like that seems like, you know, a pretty – pretty nice path to him being like an awesome wide receiver in, in two or three years. The next guy on our list, I'm on Ross St. Brown. He is FFPC wide receiver 23. You know, he played much better than I expected. And just looking at some of these underlying metrics, it's like kind of crazy how closely he compares to Waddle and a lot of them. I mean, they're almost identical in terms of yards per route run targets per route run a dot, both of them right at seven in terms of a dot. So they ended up being used like really similarly and being somewhat similarly productive. Amon Ra came on huge towards the end of the season. You know, he had 
as I mentioned earlier, his last six games, he had a minimum of eight catches in each game, which is, I mean, that's pretty absurd. Uh, we also saw late in the season, him use like a little Debo-esque on the ground. I remembered it being more than it actually was. He was 761-1 on the ground for the year, which isn't like that. I mean, seven rushing attempts isn't that much, but uh, it seemed like that got tacked on a little bit more at the end of the year. He's a guy that I'm struggling with a bit because, you know, he wasn't a bad prospect, but he also, I mean, he was a fourth round pick, which just kind of makes things tougher, but he, he landed in a ton of opportunity. Um, so like, even if you kind of say like, well, he's kind of really a third round pick in terms of like the, the opportunity component of the draft position, I still think that he wasn't. Like, I, you know, I think he was a worse prospect than Rondell Moore by a decent amount. I think he was a worse prospect than Terrace Marshall, um, who we'll get to. So he kind of fell into, like, the the Diami Brown zone for me. Um, and obviously, very impressive rookie year. But now it seems like people are really buying into him and they're treating him like kind of the rest of these uh, better prospects that also had strong years. And as a result, I'm a, a little bit more bearish on him. Like if I have to spend up to get Amon Ross St. Brown as compared to, you know, like a, a Devontae Smith, you know, for example, I, I'd rather have Smith. But I, part of the reason that I'm not as willing to buy in is that he played 77% of his snaps in the slot. Uh, you know, that's not a bad thing, like necessarily, that was actually part of the reason why he was pretty expensive in dynasty after he was drafted. Cause people very clearly were like Jared Goff slot receiver is, uh, is usually pretty valuable. So, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but you know, I do think in terms of taking that next step and becoming like, uh, you know, an elite wide receiver, um, which is really what you're hoping for when you draft a, a wide receiver, even in this range, uh, I'm not as optimistic on him. Uh, I also think like his situation could get a lot worse. I mean, just absolutely no target competition there last year. Hawkinson was, was injured uh, and Deandre Swift was injured um, at, at various points. And I think that really helped kind of open up targets for him. Goff is also potentially not going, I mean, like they could draft a rookie quarterback this year, you know, in the, in the early second round um, or they could, you know, maneuver and draft one in the first round even so it, it is it just strikes me as kind of a fragile situation because you're really betting on his targets and uh you know he he was pretty good in terms of uh yards per target and everything but i just have less faith in him as a talent he didn't show me enough to really make me change that opinion 1.74 yards per outrun it's like a good season but it's not like you should reconsider what you thought about this guy as a NFL talent type of season. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm moving up on where I would have been uh, by quite a bit, but I still don't really consider him as like one of the, the premium breakout candidates from the 2021 class. Yeah. Him and probably Bateman are the two guys I think I'm struggling with most as to how to approach coming into this season. Uh, recently I've been on, I'm on, on an Amon rock kick a little bit where, I don't know, I'm just trying to like give into that final production the last six games, but 
Um, definitely bringing up some good points to make me question that a little bit. The last guy that's kind of in this tier as far as top 30 wide receivers in, in redraft ADP and also in, in startup ADP is Devonta Smith, who um, you know definitely seems like he has a higher ceiling than Amon Ross St. Brown. And I put in our show notes, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Pat, but like I got a little Antonio Gibson vibe from Smith where like Antonio Gibson we loved last year because we had seen him do a lot of the things we were worried about, but he didn't do the things we knew he was good at yet. in in terms of like his receiving ability for Devonta Smith, I felt like he earned targets, at least maybe it's just my expectation, but I felt like he earned targets at a little bit higher rate than I expected was able to stay on the field more than I thought, you know, he was over 30 routes per game. Um, his air yards per route run was awesome. Uh, in this class, the, uh, targets per route run, he was at 20%, which was about average. But when you, Kind of weight that towards air yards. He was near the top of the class at 1.95 weighted targets per route run. Um, so I felt good about that, but we didn't like see him convert a lot of those big plays that we know he can make in college. And you know, we saw that like the efficiency wasn't necessarily super good. So like I'm hoping we see that talent, that big playability shine through a little bit more this year. Yeah, I think he's a little tough as well. Um partly because they're in enough of a dire situation at wide receiver outside of him that they kind of have to add another wide receiver and it's a good wide receiver class. And I also wasn't quite as high on Devontae Smith as, as some others in terms of like how good of a prospect he was. Um, So like if they were to add, let's say they add Garrett Wilson, like I think Garrett Wilson's a better prospect than than Smith by a decent margin and probably going to end up being a better pro so like he's there's guys where you you know he immediately becomes a wide receiver two in his own team and part of the appeal is that you know he can take right now he can take a leap forward and just be a target dominator at least at the wide receiver position because Goddard will get his but um you know that that concerns me a little bit I also you know he only had a career a dot of 10.9 at Alabama so he wasn't like necessarily guaranteed to be a deep threat. And I also wonder, maybe he's not an NFL deep threat. I mean, he had uh, mm-hmm. a, a very much a deep threat dot last year, um, but that didn't lead to a ton of efficiency. Uh, 8.9 yards per target, which is pretty solid, but well below where you would expect for a 14.9 ADOT. Um, 14.9 is pretty high. Like, I think it would be kind of nice if, if they decided like, you know, we need to get this guy involved a little bit more on the intermediate level. Uh, and, and that would potentially be one of the ways that, that he breaks out where he's able to mix in enough big play. Cause he didn't embarrass himself as a big play threat at all. Um, he just wasn't as consistent as we wanted. He didn't convert as many targets as we wanted. Um, and, you know, Jalen hurts obviously inconsistent himself. So if he gets mixed in more as an intermediate guy, and the guy they add is more of kind of a, a really solid secondary option, then, you know, I think he he has a pretty high ceiling. I, I just see him as having a higher ceiling than Amnara St. Brown uh, this year, even if uh, I think there's plenty of paths to failure for Smith as well. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a tough problem because I know from a projection standpoint, we really didn't like Devonta Smith last season. And it's like, I feel like, you know, we've made the adjustments where you know, he's more involved than we expected. And like, we're still pretty behind ADP from a pure projection standpoint on Devonta mm-hmm. Smith. But there's part of me that's like, well, what if he hits these big plays? But I guess that's, that's the question mark, right? Like I, my perspective when we started this conversation was, oh, we know he can hit those big plays. Like those will come and like you tack it on to what we saw last season. It's pretty good. But the counter to that's what you said, which is like, well, 
maybe he's just not going to hit those big plays as well, consistently in, as you know maybe we dreamed about. In fairness, his career yards per target at Alabama was was uh, twelve point nine six, was thirteen. So I mean, he was really efficient. I mean, Chase was at thirteen point three in his yards per target in college. So if you want to talk about like the guys who we thought were going to convert, uh, you know, I do think it's somewhat. It, it's like he. He got targeted. He earned targets downfield at a higher rate than we thought he might be able to, but he didn't convert. But like converting was kind of his thing in college. So I think the Antonio Gibson, you know, type of uh, comparison does does work uh, to some extent. And you know, he he had issues as a prospect. Like he just he just didn't really do it until his senior year. But then he won the Heisman. So it's like, well, if you win the Heisman, we'll forgive you a little bit for the first three bit. years. Yeah. And the the Alabama stuff is also always like the teammates is just like are so absurd that it it's it gets a little weird. Um, yeah, and I, I guess like the other thing with Smith compared to Amara St. Brown is like if if there's going to be one guy who's just so good that he just blows up all the projections he makes, like all the math looks silly, all the preseason math just look completely off. I think it's more likely to be Devontae Smith. But yeah, I'm on rise definitely pretty decent like, margin. He's the projectable volume guy, right? Like right. he's the we're penciling him for a bunch of targets and a bunch of catches, you know. So like the median outcome on him looks looks pretty solid, and that's driving the ADP to an extent, which you know isn't necessarily bad. But like it's good to understand why guys project well or not, and like why the ADP is where and it's not. And looking at startup ADP here, you know, before we move on to like the next grouping of the sophomores, but. We're at, the, we're at a spot where startup ADP is somewhat similar between some of these guys. Um, Devonta Smith's wide receiver 20. I'm looking at the Dynasty League football startup ADP for March. So Smith, wide receiver 20. Garrett Wilson, wide receiver 19. Traylon Burks, wide receiver 15. And um, I missed, and Drake London, wide receiver 22. Like, Where do you have Devonta Smith in with those three rookies? That feels about right to me. Um, although maybe... I would probably have Burks and Wilson closer, um, but yeah, that that feels about right. I think uh, Drake London's a guy who, like, also to me has some question marks, um, but he he's probably I, I could probably have London ahead of him depending on where he ends up landing. Um. Yeah, and of course, uh, the one guy I forgot to mark down on our outline, Elijah Moore. I was like, I, I know I'm forgetting something, somebody. Elijah Moore, uh, he is wide receiver 15 in FFPC ADP. So he's actually the third highest. He's behind Jalen Waddell, kind of sandwiched in between Jalen Waddell and Amon Ross St. Brown. And Moore, I know he's someone we had stashed on our NFFC ultimate team that did pretty Mm -hmm. well last year. And we were kind of bummed out when he missed the playoffs because he was really breaking out towards the end of the season. Um, Where do you have him ranked in dynasty value among the year two wide receivers? I'm a little bit more excited about Elijah Moore than Devonta Smith. And I'm like way more excited about more than Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, just cause like more, I think was a, he was a better prospect than Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, he was a really strong prospect. And I think he was one of those guys where like the numbers were telling me that I should like him more than I did. And I was sort of like, what do you know? Numbers like this guy's too small. <laughs> You know, he's, he's just, he's really small. And you know, it was like one of the criticisms of the class as a whole is that, you know, it's a bunch of small guys and he was, he's small. He, he uh, 
measured five nine and a half, weighed one seventy eight at his pro day. Uh, you know, I mean, Devonta Smith, another really small wide receiver, only one seventy four. But more, it was like you know, with the height as well, is he just going to be kind of a slot guy? Um, but no, I mean, he he can play outside. Uh, he can he can move around like he can do both. You don't have to have. Uh, him manning the slot, which obviously the Jets agree with because they just re-signed Braxton Berrios. You know, you don't make that move if you plan to have Elijah Moore in the slot. I think he's ultimately going to be kind of a Z-wide receiver, um, and that's that's pretty nice because it gives you access to more routes. You know, if you're going to be running 95% of the routes or more, uh, you're going to need to be able to play outside at least some. And that, that I think will probably ultimately be where he plays. That's how, where he plays the most. But, you know, this is a, a wide receiver who was an early declare, which Anthony has, has talked about uh, and shown as being really important. He was really productive, 29% yardage share uh, over his three-year career. <clears throat> and uh, he was also very efficient in yards per outrun. Uh, so there's really – I mean, he was, he was extremely efficient. He was also way more efficient than his teammates, which is another thing I like to look at uh, with, you know, some of these, these schools just having a huge leg up on some of the other schools. So – a lot of reasons to like him and then he had a another another one of these good not great uh type of seasons from him where he had um 1.75 yards per route run very like it's him smith and amara st brown had basically the same season by yards per route run but for me stay the course with elijah moore as i look you know more into his prospect profile and you know pairing it with the rookie season stay the course means this guy could blow up as a sophomore it really just comes down to does zach wilson have it in him to support a high-end wide receiver yeah and i'm a little worried about that from a redraft perspective when i'm looking at dynasty taking the longer view i'm a little bit more concerned just about the talent of the player which as you mentioned like he's checking a lot of boxes but from redraft perspective i do think he's a little bit overdrafted right now at wide receiver 15 but it's tough like the mid-tier wide receivers this year like rounds three through six i feel like are a little dicier than we had last season, maybe just early in the off season. I'm going to talk myself into these guys um, because his range, like historically has just been so good for wide receivers. But I do feel like there's like, like a little bit of volatility in terms of where you can rank guys once you get outside the top 10. And so while I think Moore is a little bit overdrafted, it's like, you know, wide receiver 15 feels high, but if you look at like the actual competition, um, you, you can definitely make some, some mental leaps there. Um, yeah, and just to put some numbers to the slot stuff, he played 71% of his snaps out wide, 28% in the slot last year. Um, and he had an eight out of 12.4. So similar to the Chase eight out, where you know you're you're seeing a mix of targets and starting to look like a number one wide receiver. I think also Davis being I guess my my concern would be like Davis is good enough to earn substantial target share and the offense is probably not efficient enough to support him the same way the Dolphins offense might be able to support Waddle at like a 22% target share. So I'm with you. I think more is more exciting from a dynasty perspective where I think it'll be maybe kind of like DJ Moore where we're like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it yeah. kind of happens, but it doesn't really happen from a redraft perspective, but it, he does enough to make you kind of like check the box for that year and then get excited about the following year. I think that's yeah, there's enough volatility in the NFL that like if he walks into a good quarterback, like, oh, Zach Wilson's good, or like in two years, the Jets, you know, I don't know, trade for, for an awesome quarterback. It's like, yeah, 
which we thought maybe could happen for DJ Moore this season and another offseason goes by and no doubt. DJ Moore yeah. getting re-signed to Carolina is one of the saddest things. That low-key <laughs> the saddest thing that happened all offseason. Um and it's it's funny too to hear you mention like we were talking about like the receivers being small last year. When I did the prospect pod with Amico, I felt like there were three to four guys where like when I was doing the research, it was like, these guys are big and they won with size in college, but we don't know if that'll translate to the NFL level. So <laughs> it seems like a little bit the opposite of, take of last coming season. out. Um, but yeah, let's, let's go to Kadarius Tony. Cause he was someone that we kind of, uh, we, we 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 mocked this pick by by the New York oh, yeah. Giants. We were we were not I, we were we were not giving them the benefit of the doubt. And I think you know Dave Gettleman being in charge there was like not doing the pick. Any oh, yeah, I stand by not giving Dave Gettleman the, the benefit of the doubt. He didn't deserve it. Uh, but yeah, the college production on Tony was like kind of non-existent. Um, but man, he he flashed, but he didn't play a ton. And again, so this is the guy that it's somewhat difficult to figure out, but the targets per out run was phenomenal. He led the class in targets per out run and by like a somewhat decent margin at 27%. Now he only ran 196 routes, which is almost a hundred fewer than any of the other players that we're talking about. If you do the extrapolation, mm-hmm. Pat, that you were talking about earlier in the show, like even if you regress like another 196 routes, like it looks, it looks pretty good. His targets per out run, was good. His yards per out run was okay. Um, his dynamic playmaking, like if you look at pro football focus, they have a stat called, you know, avoided tackles. And I adjusted that for avoided tackles per catch. And he was at like 31%. And I think Rondell Moore was at 22%. Jamar Chase was at 20%. And, you know, Devonta Smith was at 16%. And nobody else was like really even much above 10%. So, it, it was a nice combination of he did the things that he was supposed to do, which is avoid tackles. And then he did things that we didn't think he would be able to do, which was earn targets at a pretty high clip. Yeah. He was like kind of a revelation in terms of, you know, seeing what he's actually doing on the field because just like not a good prospect, like not the type of player who, you know, I think should be selected in the first round based on their college resume, but these guys like surprise us all the time. And so I, you know, I would say he falls a little bit short of the kind of throw out the prospect profile, but not that short. Like he's a sort of like, I'm kind of wavering on whether or not to, to throw out the prospect profile, the prospect profile, not good. He's a four-year player. He was not productive as an underclassman at all. Earns his draft capital based on his senior year reduction, which is like one of the biggest red flags that you can have. Cause that's tends to be like how these players who don't end up being very good pros basically full NFL teams. Um, He was also not very efficient. He wasn't like, he wasn't terribly inefficient in his senior year, but the yards per hour run wasn't super strong. Um, He was pretty good though on smaller samples earlier in his career in terms of the efficiency. And, you know, that was kind of the story of him from like the tape perspective as well. Like the highlights were incredible with Kadarius Tony, but it was a bit inconsistent. There was like some off the field question marks as well. And then he like bombs training camp. He's dealing with injury. It seems like, you know, the coaches aren't really loving what they're getting out of him. And then he gets on the field and he looks awesome. And, you know, if you take like his, if you add on like another, uh, if you take his uh, his routes up to 250, which adds over 50 routes, and just say like Kadarius uh, just sat there and didn't do anything on those extra routes, 
he'd still have a yards per out run of 1.68, which is pretty good. So, you know, he's kind of at a level. He's over two yards per route run, but on a smaller sample. Um, if you had the yards per out run that he had had on more, you know, in more games on more routes, he would be the type of guy where I'd be like, it, it just doesn't, I just don't care. Kind of a Terry McLaurin, McLaurin situation where McLaurin, again, not a good prospect. Uh, really, he was athletic and he was drafted in the third round. That's why you liked him. Kadarius Tony was athletic and he was drafted in the first round. That's the reason to like him. But that's like enough. Like I have Kadarius Tony in Dynasty because he was heavily discounted because he didn't really have anything but draft position and athleticism. And uh, sometimes that's enough. And I think in this case, you know, it might be enough because we're seeing a player who can get open really, really well and he can do it on the outside as well as in the slot. He played mm-hmm. out wide on 38% of his snaps. He played in the slot on 60% of his snaps. When he came in, one of the biggest concerns was that he was going to be a manufactured touch guy, a slot receiver, but like maybe even too raw to play true slot receiver. Like he might just have to be kind of like, you know, a Tavon Austin type. It looked pretty dire, but he comes in, he's playing on the outside and he's earned targets at a really high clip. Kind of looks like now maybe he's, a more explosive version of Deontay Johnson, which is pretty enticing from a PPR perspective. I mean, that could that could put up a ton of points. So to me, like, Tony's the guy to take chances on because, you know, compared to like Amon-Ra where you need the situation, it's like, well, you also kind of have the situation because they got Brian Dayball here. Yeah, Daniel Jones is not a good quarterback, but he certainly could be good enough. Like, he could be kind of the last legs Ben Roethlisberger to Kadarius Tony's Deontay Johnson and feed him targets. Uh, you're going to have smart coaching. That's going to understand hopefully, you know, his skill set very well. I'm willing to believe in that. Um, and, you know, I think the target competition for Tony certainly better than in Detroit, but it's not the type of thing that's, you know, going to be really hard for him to overcome. He probably is playing in the slot most of the time with, with uh, Shepard, uh, with his injury and then Slayton and Galladay on the outside. But I would imagine he's playing in two wide receiver sets ahead of Slayton. So, you know, if he's able to keep up that target per route run at all, I mean, he, he does have a, I think a really high ceiling this year. Yeah. I think he's a really good trade candidate in dynasty. I think whenever there is uncertainty, you know, we tend to get, you know, too, too attached to the priors to an extent. And there's a lot of uncertainty with Tony in, in two ways. One, the well, first of all, the prior, as you said, is like he was he was heavily discounted to the point where someone like you who didn't even like him was drafting him in rookie drafts last year. So like the right. prior is not good on the in terms of the market. And then but he was a first round pick, which like really right. matters. And the uncertainty. So we have uncertainty in that he was really good, but it was, it was a very small sample and people don't really know what to do with it. We also have uncertainty in terms of the coaching shift, which like could be one of the biggest plus EV coaching shifts in like all of football this season going from, you know, Jason Garrett as your offensive coordinator um, and Joe judge, like the, the ridiculous head the coach that they had for a stretch to, Oh my goodness to you and Davis with the all timer calling Freddie kitchens is like, <laughs> the Giants offensive coordinator was like the greatest thing of all time, but we like didn't Dables, even know he was on the Giants at the time. <laughs> yeah. So good. <laughs> but Dable's like a high pass rate over expectation guy. He got a lot. You'd be Josh Allen. <laughs> top three quarterback in the NFL. And Dable was there that entire development. And, you know, Daniel Jones has some rushing chops, some raw ability. So 
yeah, I, I love just betting on the the uncertainty here. The other thing with, Tony. with Daniel Jones is that like the things he's bad at probably don't affect Tony. Like I don't have a ton of optimism for Kenny Galladay this season. You know, like I don't think I don't think that one season of day ball, one one off season of day ball is going to be enough to have Daniel Jones like throwing downfield effectively, but. You know, I think he could be doing some stuff in the shallow to intermediate areas pretty well, um, or at least at high volume. And that's, you know, where Tony's going to be operating. Yeah. And he's only wide receiver 41 in March startup ADP, which feels like, I mean, some guys that are around him are Christian Kirk, Gabriel Davis. I like Gabriel Davis quite a bit, but like, I mean, if you're a rebuilding team and you want a guy that whose value could jump a ton from one year to the next, taking a chance on Tony seems to make a lot of sense. So I'd, I'd um, rather have him than St. Brown. Like in Dynasty, I just straight up would rather have Straight up? Yeah. Because, I mean, the situation for him is only going to get better, I would think. I mean, there's a lot of of outs for it to get better. Whereas the Lions situation, I think, for St. Brown could get quite a bit worse. I mean, losing Goff is is, – maybe this is a bad take because Goff's not very good. But I do think losing Goff would probably be bad for St. Brown specifically. Right, just because I mean the rapport was there, and I mean just like his his value is being driven on, on earning those slot targets, and that could change with a, with a different type of quarterback. Let's go to Rondell Moore, someone I loved coming into the season. Thought I was gonna be doing tons of victory laps because he had a huge game early on, and it, it just didn't quite happen for Rondell Moore. And I'm just curious how you even evaluate him, Pat, with you know, he had a 1.38 dot. So it's like targets per outrun was great. 25%, but it's like, is, does that lose some meaning when it's with a 1.38? Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> and, but like, and then like the good signs though, are like, they, they really haven't replaced Christian Kirk, like and AJ greens just continues to get older. That's how age works. Apparently. Um, well, wasn't he a free people, agent? Um, I think he, he, I have him like still penciled in there, but I think he is. Let me. Um, yeah, he's still a UFA right now. I guess I just kind of assumed he'd be back, but he is a UFA. They have not re-signed him. And I mean, if you look, it's it's DeAndre Hopkins, Rondell Moore, and you know nobody. I mean, I'm assuming Wesley's still on the team who played, but he's like you know nothing. Pat just told me not to play Wesley in, in NFL DFS playoffs and then he scored two touchdowns. It was no big deal. Um, <laughs> That's true. So, <laughs> so like, like, what are you, what are you doing with Rondell? I'm somewhat in on Rondell. I'm probably more in than not in on, on Rondell. Cause so the, the worst thing about Rondell, I think from his rookie year is that, uh, you know, they DeAndre Hopkins goes down and then the second round pick can't get on the field. And that's not a good sign. Uh, instead, they've got this guy, Antoine Wesley, playing ahead of him, who, as we know, is a great touchdown scorer. Um, but but not much beyond that. That was for you. Uh, but, you know, the, I think the what it really said was uh, that Christian Kirk was clearly their best wide receiver post DeAndre Hopkins going down. And that Christian Kirk was playing well out of the slot and had not played well in his two previous seasons when he was out wide primarily. He had played well as a rookie when he was also out of the slot. So I think that what Kingsbury was doing was figuring out a way to maximize his best weapon 
keeping Christian Kirk in the slot. Whereas if you if you play Rondale Moore, Rondale Moore can't play on the outside. He's he's like way too small. It's just not going to work, especially as a rookie. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe in year four or something, he'll figure that out. But for now, he's a slot wide receiver, and putting him out there means that uh, you're going to have Christian Kirk basically out of position. So I don't hold it against Rondell Moore too much that Antoine Wesley was essentially playing over him, uh, especially because like, I don't really see what else they're going to do now, but play Rondell Moore. And, you know, he did have 1.65 yards per route run, which is still good. Like, you know, one of the things with the, with the ADOT um, component is that like, running backs don't tend to have very impressive yards per route run. You know, if you're just running shallow routes, um, I understand there's a difference between like dump off routes and shallow wide receiver routes, but, but like having a super low ADOT isn't necessarily good for your receiving efficiency. Like you'd rather have that up at a higher rate. And uh, you know, the fact that Rondell Moore was able to have a pretty decent yards per route run, despite having a 1.3 ADOT, I think, speaks decently well of you know where he might end up uh what he might end up being able to do as a rookie and what the team might actually think of him so you know for for him i would say it's one of those things where i'm definitely a little less excited about rondell Moore. partly uh you know just the 1.3 adot i think is a is a reason to be concerned about him because another guy who looked like in a downside scenario just kind of a gimmick player and like being used that shallowly is is definitely concerning. If if the prior was that you know he might be a manufactured touch guy, so um, you know there's there's definitely some downside that basically they like because they could draft somebody. Uh, he could get kind of rotated out. We've already seen them like lose faith pretty quickly with Andy Isabella. Uh, they they cut oh, King Butler very quickly. Um, so you could see them kind of move on if they're not liking what they're getting out of Rondell Moore, but he is at a pretty decent discount. It's not like he's that expensive. People, I think the market as a whole is a bit spooked. So uh, I I have been drafting him some. Yeah, I I still like him. It just, the discount, like you said, and sort of how Arizona lines up right now, it's like enough for me to give him a pass where it just seems like, as you said, like it seems like they have to play him and, and that role could grow, but I'm definitely question marks here for sure. Uh, he's FFPC wide receiver 49, right in between Rondale and Tony and FFPC wide receiver ADP is Rashad Bateman, who I know you loved coming out. And I think one of the points of emphasis you made was like to not overthink, you know, this situation when we have a talented prospect who got the draft capital that we were hoping to see out of him. And in some ways, you know, that came to fruition, even though Bateman started off the year hurt. Um, which you know really wasn't his fault. We did see this Baltimore offense push way more aggressively throwing the football than they had in the past. Um, we'll see if they're better this year, how much of that sticks. It does seem like it wasn't just a game script shift. It was like a conscious shift in, in the evolution of their offense, which makes it more appealing for like peripheral passing pieces to be able to get there. Um, but the other hard part was like Marquise Brown had a really good year which, you know, does make it harder for like, like you've got Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown right there. So um, I'm talking all context stuff, but what do you think about Bateman? Yeah, I think uh, 
you know, it was almost really, really nice for Bateman because we did get all the passing attempts, way more than we thought. And the NFL is just like really chaotic where, you know, you sit there and you're like, on what, you know, what universe are the Ravens going to just like t- see a huge spike in their pass attempts? Like while well, the universe where Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins get hurt and they think that like Devontae Freeman is going to going to fix that for them. Um, so, you know, they they passed a lot, but unfortunately Bateman had a bit of a disappointing season in terms of yards per outrun. He like borderline concerningly low. Uh, I think just kind of just above where I'd like start to be feeling queasy 1.26 yards per outrun, not very good, um, but not absolutely terrible. Um, Didn't earn targets at a very high rate, 15.9% target per route run. Um, which isn't good, and he also he wasn't used that deep, only 9.6 a dot. So like, it'd be one thing if he was a deep threat with that target per outrun, but he was not. So definitely some red flags about his rookie season. But at the same time, like I think it's probably good enough to where I'm sticking with my initial assessment assessment of him. Like it's not it's not like in the true danger zone, um, which we'll get to. Uh, you know. For comparison, there, you know, some other wide receivers that had similar yards per route run as rookies. DeAndre Hopkins had 1.28 yards per out run as a rookie. Tyler Boyd was at 1.25. Now, that Boyd comparison is maybe not very good for him because Boyd uh, did not do anything as a sophomore. It took until his third season for him to do much. Uh, Robbie Anderson had 1.29 yards per out run as a rookie. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, 1.27, although, again, that, that maybe not the best uh, for him in his sophomore year. So he kind of profiles as a guy like from a dynasty perspective, I'm still very much in on Bateman, but the rookie season, I think gives us like a pretty strong reason to be worried that it might not be this year. And yeah, I think, and you know, and then you look at the overall context of the situation and it's like, well, you know, there's a lot of reasons to think now it might not be this year. So I'm trying to, like one of the reasons I, I have a decent amount of Tony is because Tony's going right there with Bateman. So I basically make myself take Tony about half the time. Um, you know, whereas like a previous version of me might've just hammered Bateman every time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that, that's one way to mix it up. I think Tony, I, you know, Tony's got a huge ceiling and so it's a pretty appealing way to, to mix it up from Bateman. Also the wide receiver, the rookie wide receivers like Garrett Wilson tends to get drafted right by Bateman. Um, that will probably change. I think, I think Wilson's ADP will end up climbing well above Bateman. So I've been taking him a lot. Uh, Traylon Burks, you can sometimes get there. Drake London. So um, I think Bateman should be in the mix, but there's definitely uh, enough from his rookie season, enough from the overall context to make you think like, you know, even if he emerges as a star, it could be a year or two from now. Yeah. So in terms of dynasty value, he's wide receiver 32 right now, March ADP. You've got um, Jamison Williams at wide receiver 38. Olave at wide receiver 33. I know Amico thinks Olave is pretty overrated from a dynasty perspective, but like yeah, kind of how are you? Yeah, so definitely ahead of Olave. What about him like versus Jamison Williams? Like if you were offered a trade, would you, would you take Jamison Williams? In dynasty, I, I want uh well, you know, Jamison Williams is probably gonna end up on the Chiefs now or something, but um <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so not I, knowing where he lands. Yeah, I mean you you seriously, like you think about those wide receivers that are going in the late first round now. Uh, oh my you know, god! Someone's sudden, gonna like, hit the jackpot. Someone's in Chiefs and Packers. You know, yeah. so there's like 
I, I think it might like make sense to just draft all those guys like a little higher than you otherwise pick. That's in, a good you know? Cause it's like it's a it's like Chiefs Packers is a plus to begin with. Now it's Chiefs minus Tyreek Hill and Packers minus Devon. Yeah. Like like they yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, you have to I mean Chris, I think Christian Watson, I think Sky Moore, who's probably a second round pick, but but generated like some maybe late first round buzz uh based on his combine performance. Uh, I think basically anyone kind of that was seen as on that first round bubble, if you liked them already, you should probably bump up a little bit because one of them's going to get a huge. I mean, we went nuts for McCole Hardman. <laughs> yeah, it's not even a wide receiver. A second as it round turns pick out. with with being blocked more than whoever lands there will be blocked. And super raw as a prospect, I think whoever they take will probably be a much much. This is a pretty good wide receiver class, so there's not a ton of guys who look like like Tony's where you're like draft draft positions. The only reason I'm in. Um, but anyway, I would, uh, I would still take Bateman over a guy like James, James and Williams is an awesome prospect, but he did tear his ACL the national championship game. That's a problem. It also from a dynasty perspective, let's say he doesn't go to the chiefs. You know, the most likely scenario is that he ends up having a very short and potentially not efficient rookie season. And so a now Bateman you're looking at season. like a Bateman rookie season. Yeah. yeah. Where we but didn't maybe, know he was hurt going in, but he ended up getting hurt. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you're looking at like, you know, this guy, it's like, I think I'd rather take Bateman who is not dealing with the AC. He's going into this season healthy. Um, but that's probably pretty fair because uh, Williams is also a very strong prospect. Uh, the rest of the guys, we don't have to go too in depth on, but just one of your thoughts. Um, three other guys I had written down was Josh Palmer, Nico Collins, Terrace Marshall. I know Terrace Marshall was someone I was pretty excited about, was taking him at the early second round in super flex rookie drafts last off season. He had just like an absolutely dreadful season. Um, I, I was prepping for this podcast and I was like, we're way behind ADP. I'm Marshall right now. And the ADP is not good to begin with. And I was checking with our team. Like if that was right, like Levitan's like, yes, it's right. I had to sweat a Terrace Marshall over and fucking Brandon Zilstra was on the field over. <laughs> so, um, he was not pleased the, uh, 0.5 yards per route run seems really, really bad. And he had like, he should have been able to play quite, he did run 277 routes, but he should have played quite a bit there wasn't you know competition for that third wide receiver spot yeah and marshall falls into the category of like i think the most concerning category that you can have as a rookie is got on the field with no production to show for it like that's you know what what do you say to defend that uh there's a stretch here i found the other day that's just unbelievable where he had uh in week nine he had uh, zero receptions on two target or one target week 10. He had zero receptions on two targets week 11. He had zero receptions on zero targets week 14, which was his next game played. He had zero receptions on zero targets and he's out there. He ran 18 routes, 10 routes, nine routes, 18 routes. Uh, that's, it's just really, really concerning when a guy can't draw targets. I know the situation for him is pretty bad. And so I don't want to write him off as a player. Uh, he was an underclassman, kind of profiled as a guy who might be a bit raw, might be a bit boom bust, um, you know, played with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase at LSU, but didn't really emerge until after they left. But it was like, we're, you know, you're kind of going, well, you know, these guys are 
and now we know how good they are. Like you can't blame him too much for not being able to outplay Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Uh, you know, when he was a year behind Justin Jefferson, same the same age as uh, Jamar Chase. But this rookie season was super concerning. I think again, kind of the thing of like, okay, maybe he will do it, but probably not this year. And we have seen guys emerge from really bad starts. Devontae Adams, Tyler Boyd, who I mentioned before, those guys started really poorly. Uh, and then, um, well, Tyler Boyd over multiple seasons, it was it was looking pretty bad. But, um, you know, but at the same time, it wasn't quite this bad. Where this is more yeah. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, where you know he had 0.54 yards per route run, uh, J.J. did in 2019 as a rookie. And that's basically where uh, Terrace Marshall was at. And that's like kind of the like throw it all out. It's actually above where Terrace Marshall was at. He was at 0.5. So when you're that low and you have actually a decent sample, it's I think you're kind of throwing out the priors and it's just like, I'm not really drafting this guy uh, unless there was some really good situation. But the situation is arguably worse. Like there's no outs to good quarterback play there. You know, so I mean, I just I have a hard time getting on board with him, even as as a dart throw. Although, like DJ Chark kind of emerged after a really really bad rookie season and had a breakout. Um, But Marshall isn't really a deep threat, and he also can't be a target dominator because Moore's there. So it it is just it's very hard to see how it's this year. He he had a good preseason too, when we were we were all kind of like, yeah, it's happening. Didn't happen. Um, Josh Palmer, not a very good prospect. His metrics are kind of meh, but he did seem like he emerged as like the clear third wide receiver by the end of the season and maybe more from like redraft value, but it it does seem like there's, there's some upside here in terms of that he's in the correct type of offense. He does seem like he has contingent value. If, if something happens to one of the guys that gets down and then I'm torn with like, should we, you know, not dock him too much for the targets put out run when you have Keenan Allen, Eckler, and Mike Williams, but like he's playing with those guys again this year. So, it, you know, I think the contingent value point is why I like him. Um, and I don't love him, but I think from like a dart throw perspective, uh, I'm not sure he is who they thought he was. Like, I don't know that he is, he was a pure deep threat in college. Um, but we've seen guys be like pure deep threat. Like Chris Godwin was a deep threat in college. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate uh, one-to-one in terms of your NFL skill set. He's got enough size and, you know, he was, he was decent enough where like, I think he's more interesting if they need uh, someone to replace Keenan Allen for a game or two, you know, and I think he could get uh, a decent amount of targets in that scenario. And I think, yeah, you have to give the targets per out run. I mean, there's more than, one guy running a route on, on every play. So it's like, you know, the target competition definitely affects that. Um, he didn't profile as a very strong prospect. He didn't profile as like a, a terrible prospect, but just kind of like a, a scratch off type. And I think that's kind of what he is still, but it's a scratch off type to Justin Herbert. Yeah. And then anything on Nico Collins, who did get some opportunity for a pretty bad team. Not a lot of, a lot of competition in front of him. I know some people got hyped on, you know, his sort of like athleticism, last off season um, seemed like it was a somewhat neutral year. How did you perceive it? I think it was a little worse than neutral um, in the sense that the average depth of target 11.6 uh, didn't have 
uh, a very strong season in terms of yards per hour on 1.24. So it wasn't a it, kind of similar to the Bateman year where it's like you're not writing this guy off, but you should probably kind of keep it's like bring him down a little bit um, and then go with basically what you thought before the season. And but Nico Collins was kind of like a a highly athletic dart throw. Whereas Bateman, you know, was a very, very strong analytical prospect who went in the first round. So it's a little bit different. Uh, but, you know, he does have a path to seeing targets there. Uh, I kind of like Brevin Jordan as a, you know, a second year kind of kind of guy. So I'm willing to take the the project who, who might emerge in year two on the Texans. Uh, Brandon Cooks just absolutely dominated target share. Maybe that isn't quite the case this year. If you get moved, know, Collins too. can emerge. They that's true. He could totally get moved. I think he I'm surprised he hasn't gotten moved. He would be a great fit on the Chiefs. Um yeah. And that, call. Let, let's make that happen. Yeah, I think Nico Collins, I mean, from a contingent value perspective as well, like, you know, if Cooks were to miss a few games, Collins is really the only option. I guess like Chris Conley was seeing some targets uh last year, but but Collins would certainly have a path to being like a number one type. And in that case, the 11.68 ADOT maybe is a good thing where he's getting used like, you know, in the intermediate area as like kind of a number one outside guy. We don't necessarily need him to be a deep threat if, uh, you know, he has a chance to be the number one guy if Cooks is traded or hurt. Yeah. One thing I want to do look into is like bucketing wide receiver by like ADOT archetypes, but not like the final ADOT, but like just like like the distribution of like mm. all the individual air yards of target to see. Like, because there's some guys that might just be like on a play by play perspective. Yeah. Cause you might be peppered like 10 to 15 yards consistently, or you might be like screen pass, deep pass, like, and then that averages out to a lot. That's, I think, what Jamar Chase's thing, like, you know, his ADOT is like, he's probably more of that deep threat who also gets screen passes rather than, you know, some guys with that same ADOT are seeing a lot more intermediate stuff. Right. Awesome. Well, this was great stuff, Pat. If you listened, uh, you guys are definitely up to speed on the year two wide receivers and have some comp- comparisons to some of the prospects in the class. Make sure you follow Pat at Pat Crane on Twitter. He's on ship chasing Wednesday nights with Peter Overset, Ben Gretsch, and sometimes myself, as I will be on the show tonight, we'll draft a, a best ball team. That'll be fun. And you can follow his work over at NBC sports edge. Uh, anything in particular you got going on, Pat? Yeah, I'm working on uh prospect write-ups for uh, all the position groups, but um, right now working on quarterbacks and tomorrow have a, a podcast. We did a, a wide receiver deep dive uh, a couple weeks ago with Anthony Miko, uh, Davis Maddock, and Matthew Friedman. We're doing a quarterback deep dive tomorrow with uh, Danny Kelly, Kevin Cole, and Rich Rebar. So that'll be fun. Wow. And uh, doing a, doing Thursday at 4 o'clock, we're, we're rolling out um, uh, those podcast episodes on a good football show. Awesome. That's a loaded podcast. I'll be able to discern whether or not I should uh, use a first or second pick in Superflex rookie drafts on Malik Willis after I listen to that. We'll so talk about that. All right. I'm excited for it. Check out my stuff over at Established Run. And again, uh, whatever format you're listening to, make sure you like us, rate us, review us. It helps us continue these podcasts for free. Uh, make sure you continue to check out Establish the Edge. This Friday, going to continue the Dynasty theme and look at running back prospects with J.J. Zachariasen. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.